This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of the show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help, and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Kia ora, Heather Alcoholic. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage, engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. And if you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism and the alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether their life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. The program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview a member, an AA member, who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. 
Hi. I wonder if you could introduce yourself and give us a, a bit of a background, maybe starting with your age and how long you've been sober. Well, uh, Martin, Heather Alcoholic. I, um, well, I'm, I'm 60 years old now. I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 39. So I've been sober uh, coming up 22 years this year. And um, before that, I had three years dry drunk when I had my children. Mm-hmm. And um, so I take my sobriety date from when I joined AA and started the program. Nice. And what do you do? And are you married? Do you have children? I'm. Uh, I have two adult children. They're mm-hmm. twenty-four and twenty-five years old. Uh, so they've been. They've grown up throughout my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I married? And at the moment, well, engaged to be mm-hmm. married. Great. And what do you do for a job? Uh, I work in the tertiary sector. Excellent. So I wonder if you could tell us about how you started drinking, your first drink. What was it like? How did it feel? Oh, yes, I can tell you all about that. I um, Well, first of all, I actually um, I was raised in an alcoholic home. My father was alcoholic. It was chaotic. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, it was you know natural to... I started smoking when I was 12. I started drinking when I was 13. I was at a party in South Brighton. Mm-hmm. Somebody had smuggled a bottle of Gimlet... Oh, yes. And it was a very small bottle, and we all stood around in a circle, and we each had a little um, cup, a cap full each. Right. And I remember thinking, as the cap was going around, everyone was having their share, that this is not going to be enough. Right. So that was the beginning, and there was never enough. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I drank alcoholically for the first time when I was 14. I went mm-hmm. to a a 21st birthday of my older sister's older boyfriend's older brother's 21st at the Grenadier Tavern. I drank <laughs> black Russians through a straw, and um, that was on. I right. loved it. I was. Everybody talked about me the next day. I was the life and soul of the party and funny, Right. and it had so much appeal. I deleted the part where I was in the toilet throwing up. Yeah. People holding my hair back, and my beautiful new maxi denim dress got covered in alcohol. And, and alcohol and vomit. Yeah, I deleted that bit. I just remembered the fun bit. Yeah, I liked it. So, how did it make you feel? How did it make me feel? Mm. Oh well, I just couldn't wait to do it again. That good, huh? That good. So, how would you describe how you drink? You 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 mentioned you said I drank alcoholically. So for the first time when I was fourteen. So just picking up on that, what was the difference? Was it because you had access to it, you could control it? What makes you say that? Oh, it was unlimited access. Right. I could have anything I wanted, so I did just one after the other. And when at what stage did you sort of think this is becoming a problem, or or even the beginning of it? When did you first sort of notice that you didn't drink like other people? Was that something you noticed? I never noticed. Right. Because everyone around me drank the same. Right. I was 14 then. By the time I was 15, I'd left high school. By the time I was 16, I was working in hospitality. Right. And I gravitated towards others that drank like me. Right. We had staffies, extended staffies. Mm, there was always a bar. We do that, don't we? We we gravitate to people who drink the way that that we do. So so when did you first start to think that it was a problem, and how was it a problem? 
The first time I thought it was a problem was when I was fast forward. I was 28 years old. Mm -hmm. It took that long. Right. Never before had I ever considered that there was anything wrong with my drinking. My drinking was never a problem. It was a solution. Yeah. That that couldn't have been the problem. And um, the first time I thought about it, I thought... You know, I was the manager of a nightclub in Sydney. I was drinking every night after work. I was drunk every night after work. And the first time I stopped to think was when I was 28. And I thought, when was the last time I went home sober? And I couldn't remember. Right. That was the first time I thought it could have been a problem. So when did you make an effort or when did you attempt to stop drinking? Oh, well, I, I attempted to, at that point, I attempted to not get drunk after work. Right. So I'd say, I promise myself I won't drink tonight. I, I won't. And when I say I won't drink, that means really what I was telling myself, I won't get drunk. Yeah. I could drink. I thought I could. I would delude myself to think I could drink. But at that point, I had no understanding that once I started, I couldn't stop. So I would say I won't drink. And then I'd be I'd be drunk before I knew it. I'd be in the toilet, sort of bouncing off the walls, trying to get my pants up, you know, and yeah. re- realise, oh my god, I'm drunk. I wasn't going to drink tonight. Yeah. And then, oh, what the hell? Finish the job. Yeah. Did you ever drink while you're at work? When you all the time. When you yes, weren't supposed yes, to be. Yes, glass of red wine behind the velvet curtain in the restaurant at um, right. down here in Christchurch. It's right. no longer there, thankfully. Um. So. So when did you realise that you needed help? Had you lost jobs, sort of ruined relationships? Job-wise, I think because of the industry that I was in, it was common, that's what we did. Yeah. I was also, I moved around a lot. I would have a, a, a job in a ski resort in the winter, move off somewhere else for the summer, shift to Western Australia for the America's Cup, I was always on the move. I didn't ever get pushed. Right. Once I got fired from a job um, here in Christchurch, and that wasn't for my drinking, that was for insubordination. Right. And um, I'd like to say I find that hard to believe, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was the only time. But I right. walked out of there. I drove I, w- I drove from Gloucester Street to Believ and walked straight into another job and started that night. Right. So it was never a consequence. Yeah. I didn't have a consequence like that. I didn't really start to, and as for drinking on the job, I turned up to work drunk one Christmas day, and my manager said, oh, Heather, 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 go home. Right. Come back tomorrow. I didn't have consequences like that. Yeah. So I hardly ever had a car, and um, so the consequences didn't come till much later. Right. And can you tell us about your rock bottom and when the consequences finally caught up with you? My last drunk was a party at my own home. I drank so much and I couldn't get drunk. It stopped working. Just right. all of a sudden, it didn't work. The more I drank, the more sober I got, the more aware. So I took some drugs as well and what happened was I woke up came out, came to out of a blackout and yeah. I was halfway down the street and I'm um, in the middle of the night no one around and it freaked me out because I didn't know how I got there yeah um, and I was embarrassed 
um, and it f- and I got the fright of my life yeah. then. So that was when I, I realised that there was a problem. There was a problem with... There was a problem. And um, after that, I was working a day job. I kind of switched from the nighttime routine. And, uh, you know, I started to look around to find some solutions. I went to a sister fellowship, ACOA. I went there because I was a, an adult child of an alcoholic. Yeah. I discovered my higher power. He was six foot three, had green eyes. <laughs> he was a chef. And um, so that seemed to be my solution to the problems that I had in my life for a while. He didn't drink. It was very attractive. Right, yeah. And um, so that meant I couldn't either. And that that seemed to be a solution for a while until inevitably, by then I was dry drunk. So, Can you explain to anyone listening what the term dry drunk means, just in case they... they it means I'm still problems. alcoholic, but I'm not treating my disease with alcohol. I'd stop taking any kind of drug, any kind of alcoholic beverage, anything that altered my perception of the world. Alcohol changed my perception of the world. It made you look better. It made you more reasonable. It made me look better, and everything was okay. I stopped the drinking, and I, my perceptions were, and my fears all came to the surface. It was awful. Right. So, so you talked about going to a sister fellowship when you got to AA. Can you talk us through your first meeting, how you felt, what it was like, how people were, that sort of thing? When I got to my first AA mm. meeting? I eventually went to my first AA meeting because I was so desperate. Yeah, I had, by then the relationship with had broken down, I had two small children, and my um, my temper, I was very angry, my, my temper would flare, I'd have, um, I'd sort of have flash anger, suddenly everything would be okay one minute and then it wasn't. Um, those were the things that frightened me and it was clear that it was frightening my children. Yeah. And that's what did it for me. That was my actual rock bottom because I could see that if I carried on down the path I was going, my kids would end up with a life like I had and their childhood would not be good. Yeah. So I I, I, I was fortunate. There was a lady at the play group that I, I took my kids to. I'd known her from this previous sister fellowship yeah. that I'd attended. She looked incredible. And I said to her, she had these shiny eyes, her skin was clear, she was so beautiful and calm, she emanated. And I said to her, my God, what have you, what, have you, what did you do? Mm. And she said, I got a sponsor and I worked the steps. And I thought, bang, that's it. And, um, and she said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine, fine. <laughs> I was a wreck. Yeah. And um, so that was it, once I heard her say that. Um, there was a cupboard in the kitchen there and it had cups and saucers and things in it and a big notice on the outside that said AA, so I knew where AA kept the coffee. And um, I asked a friend to go with me to my first meeting. I was so terrified, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, I didn't actually at that point think I was an alcoholic. I didn't really know. I just knew I was really desperate and yeah. I was willing to try anything. And that was the point where I'd made a decision. And when I got to the first meeting, it was... Um, People shared their experience, strength and hope. I identified. Yeah. If you go to a meeting and identify, well, then you know you're in the right place. Yeah. I heard them say, look for the similarities, not the differences. Yeah. And I thought, I'll give it a go. I'd asked, I told my mother that I was 
going to go to an AA meeting. She said, I'll make a commitment to babysit every Monday night. Don't worry, I'll be there. I was a little surprised. I thought she might have... <laughs> yeah, tried to talk you out of it, tell you you're not an alcoholic. It seemed that she didn't think it was such a bad idea after all. You know, so The second meeting that I went to was the one that really made the difference because I walked into the room and there's this funny little Scottish man called Eddie and he, when I walked into the room, he said, hello, Heather, welcome back. And that was it for me. Like, these people know me and want me here. Yeah. And that was really so powerful. I've never forgotten it. Mm. So um, how would you explain to people how you've managed to stay sober this whole time? The First of all, it was really simple. Just take it one day at a time. Uh, the second thing is that I'd always used alcohol as my solution or men or shopping or any other thing. And what I heard in those first couple of meetings was chapter two, there is a solution. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to make it up. It was easy to follow. And it was just do your best one day at a time. No one expects anything else of you. I think in that beginning was those, uh, that requirement, that third tradition, you know, there's no requirement, come or go. What we have is on offer here. Mm. It's up to you. Do as much or as little as you like. Mm. No one can make you pay any money. No one can kick you out. Nobody can make you stay. There's nothing to fight. And being defiant, and as I am, alcoholic trait, we're defiant. I don't like being told what to do. Don't mm. tell me what to do. No one ever told me what to do. And that was the attraction. It was, this is what's on offer. This is yours if you want it. If you want what we've got, do what we do. And what those people did was they showed up. Yeah. They had commitments, especially service. So my first service commitment was there as a secretary. And I had um, the key, so I had to go. A service is the, the most critical thing, is to get involved. And being involved means being part of, like I'm right in the hub. And the most important thing is to get in the hub, not be on the outside of the wheel, otherwise you'll get flung off. Mm. And staying in the hub and being anchored to AA through service is the most important thing mm. to me. Also, as that lady said, get a sponsor and work the steps. So I got a sponsor. I also got a boyfriend. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until the inevitable happened because I was taking the same tools into that relationship as I had with every other one I'd ever had. Right. Childish, immature. And um, so inevitably that one fell apart and that's when I started working the steps. Yeah. I, I, emotional pain is just awful. And so... How have you dealt with um, difficulties as they've come along, or life as it's come along in the time that you've been sober? Difficulties, the um, several things. Number one is keeping con contact with my sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't use my sponsor as a one-one-one call. Yeah. She's up to date with my life. I don't just ring in a crisis. Yeah. So I have that relationship. It's current, and that's really important. So the other one is using the steps in my life and using the program. So just right at the moment, we've just had the last couple of da days, using the daily reflections. I use a daily reflection each day. I have my life and my will over to a power greater than me. Most of the time, sometimes I forget and they have to do it at 10 o'clock or whenever. 
But July 6th and the 7th in the Daily Reflections talks about identifying fear and letting go of it. And I had no idea until I started working the steps how fear motivated my life. Mm. Fear is the chief activator of all my defects. So when I come into a situation, if I feel jealousy, I feel anything, what's the fear underneath that? Mm. How do I find out what's motivating me? And then I make it about me and what can change, not about you. Mm. So then getting through the difficulties is take a step back, back, take a step back, what's really going on? And so that's uncovering the truth for me. That's how I do it. Lovely. The next question I think you've already covered, but um, it, it is how important has service been in your recovery? You've spoken already. but So um, service is awesome because the the thing is about service, when taking on a service position in AA, I mean, I don't know how to do it before I start. I'm going in blind. Yeah. That's where the mistakes are made. The mistakes are great. I have to humble myself. I learn about myself. I, I learn all sorts of things. Then, of course, because of the, um, I have to rotate off. Then I finally got the hang of it, and it's time to rotate yeah. off. So it's constantly learning. And yeah. service is how I learn about myself and help myself gr- help grow up in AA. I, the the twelve step program is designed to grow up, and um, service is the best way to do it because it's growing up in public. Mm. How would you describe yourself and your life today? Like things like um, your self-esteem, your relationships, your job, how, how you feel, that sort of thing. Where to start? The um, One of the things I heard years ago and I found really desirable was I heard this person talk about feeling comfortable in their own skin. And I'd, I'd always felt as though I was never quite in the right place before. There, there was... Um, you know, I had a job, but that job was better. Or I had a boyfriend, but that guy looked better. Or I had a friend group, but those ones over there were cooler. Or else I'd feel awkward and uncomfortable and just not quite right, any situation. And feeling comfortable in my own skin is one of the things that's changed for me because I don't need to live in fear or worry. I've got tools for that. Pray, think of others, think about what I can take to a situation, not just what I can... Um, get from it or give instead of taking but my life today I've got some stability I think one of the things that happened early on in my recovery and I didn't find this out till later was um, I have a sibling in AA and um, she watched me and one of the things she said was I became more predictable and so I'd lost that unpredictability and flash anger and things are okay one day but they're not the next and I think that's kind of smoothed me out and I feel a lot more calm right so my job I've been in for 18 years same job I I could have had 18 jobs in two years just about before recovery Um, stability I've even had the same car for 17 years wow so I know I've worn it out (laughs) 268,000 kilometers Um, the other thing is that I can one of the one of the things is to mind my own business. If I stay in my lane and mind my own business, yeah. then I can attend to what I can handle and manage, not about you. Yeah. So I'm unless I'm I'm not worrying all the time about what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you can those sorts of things just make life easier. That's the priceless gift of serenity. Not perfect, obviously, but mm. it's constantly more is revealed. But that's the 
most important thing. It's like, what am I doing? Am I attending to my business? Yeah. And um, my children, I'll just um, talk about them. So my kids are grown-up adults now. Mm-hmm. So they were very, very little when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. They, um, they, they know that when they have to, in the early days, they had to answer the phone, use their good manners and learn how to take a message and give me privacy in case it was an AA member. They, they've grown up in a home that is full of fun and dancing and I'm not perfect by any means, but I know that they're very proud of me now. Yeah. They say that. They're adults now and they look around, they know the difference. Our relationships are strong and honest and we have good communication. They ring me all the time. One daughter's in Australia, one's here, son's here. And um, that was the main reason to get sober for me was for that. Yeah. Um, wrapping up, AA is a spiritual program. What what does spirituality mean to you? Well, that's an interesting one. I... Um, it's it's an interesting thing. It's evolved. I know that years before AA, I, I tried to um, do some stuff, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway program and find your spirituality. And I knew that, well, I didn't have that, so I cast that one aside. It couldn't possibly work. Coming to AA, a spiritual program, spirituality is, they said, find a power greater than you. Find a higher power tr- and trust it. So... If and, and and hand your life and your will over, even if you don't exactly know what it is, just do it anyway. Take the action. So I did that. What if? And I did that for a long time. Just whatever it is, it's out there somewhere. It could be a mountain. It's changed over the years. What I've come to realise is that um, I remember. I remember the the day this happened. I was running in the rain in Greymouth. It's where my mother's from. And to me, spirituality and my higher power is unconditional love. It means no strings. It means that you can trust that it has only your, um, what's best for you, spirituality. And I remember that. My mum had unconditional love for me, and I felt it. That's what a higher power is. So if I can think spirituality is... That Francis of Assisi prayer, you know, show light when there's dark. Seems like a really big, tall order, but it comes over time. Yeah. Heather, thanks so much for um, for coming in today and sharing your story with us. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard and would like more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up at the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesdays at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. And you don't have to do it alone. We will now close our show with a serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God, grant grant me the serenity serenity to to accept accept the things things I cannot change, 
the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. 